0: And that's out of Luke 2, 8 through 14. I want to read that to you again. It's going to be on the overhead for those of you who don't have a Bible or an app. And it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news, and will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by, the, by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped, snuggling in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And that what we see there in that passage we talked about last week is that the peace of God was given to all mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ, that God's heart towards us was not uh, one of reluctance to give us that peace or reluctance to give us that joy, but that for God... It was something that brought him joy. For Jesus, it was something that brought him joy. How do we know that? Because it said he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was crucified and it was a joy to him because he knew that that work was going to restore all mankind and bring peace and joy to each and every one of us. Can you say amen? We are definitely in that dry season in Colorado I mean I'm drinking water like going out of style and still can't stay hydrated well listen I want to share a couple stories with you I came across um, while reading to prepare for this sermon and things that we deal with anybody that's got children knows during Christmas time man the list comes out and they're looking for hey I want this and I want this and I want this and so Some of these stories I thought would be fun for us to share. One, I came across a collection of letters written by children to Santa Claus. Some of them were pretty good. One said, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You didn't bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance, signed Alfred. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I don't know if any of you have children like that. I certainly had one that that reflected some of that at times. (laughs) My favorite went like this. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There's Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, and he is four. And then there's Norman, and he's seven. Jeffrey is good sometimes. David's good sometimes. But Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. Here's one that kind of draws us into our message for today, and that is, I found this stor- story, if you will, in the, uh, some of the sermon sites, you know, where you can go and research illustrations and things like that. And I found this one, and I thought it very fitting for today. It's about a woman who was doing her last-minute Christmas shopping at a crowded mall. She was tired of fighting the crowds. She was tired of standing in lines. She was tired of fighting her way down long aisles looking for a gift that had sold out days before. Her arms were full of uh, bulky packages. When the elevator door opened, it was full. The occupants of the eleva- elevator grudgingly tightened ranks to allow small space for her and her load. As the doors closed, she blurted out, Whoever's responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. A few others nodded their heads or grunted in agreement. Then, from somewhere in the back of the elevator, came a single voice that said, Don't worry, they already crucified him. Mm-hmm. We need to remember who is responsible for the whole Christmas thing. It is all about God, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And unfortunately, too many people. Leave Christ out of Christmas. Instead of looking for Jesus, people look for joy anywhere and everywhere else. An interviewer once asked the entertainer Madonna this basic question. Those of you who know Madonna are probably in my age group. Those of you who don't are very young. Madonna was an entertainer. She was very famous uh, for more than one thing. He said, "Are you a happy person?" and she replied, "I'm a tormented person. I'm wrestling a lot of demons, but I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness, and I'm working towards knowing myself, and I assume that will bring me happiness." Pretty much everybody wants happiness. I don't think that anyone sitting in this room, I don't think anybody we might encounter at our workplace in our schools in our families, wherever we may go, I think most people are in pursuit of happiness. Can you say amen? Amen. But people work hard to buy possessions that they think will make them happy. They look for happiness in entertainment, hobbies, sports, passions, and various addictions. Or like Madonna, they look deep, deep, deep within themselves to find happiness, thinking maybe that's where that elusive happiness is hiding. When you consider that happiness seems... To be the main goal, it seems surprising that the Bible doesn't talk much about happiness. However, the Bible speaks a whole lot about joy. The Bible uh, speaks uh, over 200 scriptures in reference to joy, if you will. And so today I want to talk about being a people in search of joy. We're all in search of joy. While we may think it's happiness, it's actually joy that we're searching for. Because our creator made us that way. The world wants us to conform to it, but God rather wants us to be transformed into his likeness by the renewing of our mind. That we might think about things the way God thinks about things rather than think about things the way the world does. The world would tell you, all you got to do is turn on the TV and you'll see that the world will tell you, all you got to do is buy this thing and you're going to be happier. I can't tell you how my ears perk up when the commercials come on to say, we can give you a full head of hair again. I'm serious. I hate commercials. Angie, do I hate commercials? I will literally pause the program I'm watching and let it, matter of fact, uh, by the way, did you get to see that Vanessa's back? My daughter is back visiting. She brought a, a young man with her, Brennan. Would you stand up, Brennan, say hello to the people? Yes, I am going to embarrass you. But, you know, I bring that up because we were actually watching the show, and I paused for the, I said, I hate commercials, man. I'll let it go, and what happens is, is so the program runs, I I love the the way you can, you know, the new, whatever you call them, the boxes where you can actually do that, and you can pause the show you're watching, and all the commercials play out, and basically you let it kind of build, and then you don't have to watch one commercial, you just fast forward through them all. But let that hair commercial come on, and I'm telling you right now, I watched that whole thing. Because there's just something in me that I, I would probably be happier with a full head of hair. Why is that? Because I get made fun of. Even my wife makes fun of me. My kids make fun of me. And when I say I'm going to grow it out and I'm just going to let it grow down to my waist and then paste it and, you know, circle it up, <laughs> you know, use all that gel and get it, you know, patched up there. They go straight. What's that? <laughs> Comb over. Paste on. I talked about growing my beard out and everything, part in the middle, and feather it all back. <laughs> There's just something about when things aren't the way, circumstances in our life that don't go the way we want them to go. is somehow we let it rob us of our happiness. We let it rob us of our joy. It may steal some happiness, but boy, we can't let it steal our joy, amen? Philippians 1, 3-6 says this. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray, and here's the key, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a work, good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's intent is to work his good work in you and all the surface things, all the carnal things around us are not what we're meant to be focused on. We can certainly enjoy them, enjoy them, but they are not the source of our joy. Amen? So, so very clearly, happiness works on the external. Happiness works in the, is, is external and works from the external, why joy is e- internal and works from the eternal. That God is the source of our joy. We're filled with His Spirit. And out of that comes exuberant joy. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though hourly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So... We fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, excuse me, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That We fix our eyes on the unseen. That, that hope of glory that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, that, that Christ in us, the hope of glory, that one day, Advent, expectation that he is coming back again, for a bride without spot or wrinkle, that He is making us ready for His return. In the midst of our Advent, in the midst of our waiting, God is making us ready. He is performing the good work that He begun in us, so that on the day when Christ appears, we're ready to meet Him and be with Him forevermore. Happiness is based on circumstance. I love that Laurel brought that up. Happiness is based on circumstance. I, I enjoy allowing, too, Jeremiah, I've done this with everybody, that when they have a part in the service, I want them to actually study that out and, and, and hear from the Holy Spirit and, and share from themselves. So I don't want to dictate that to them because I want to see how God, you know, as the master weaver, will bring that together. And the, last week and then this week, to see Laurel share that and flow right into Philippians, goes right into the context of where my message is today, what I see is God's handiwork. I see Him at work. And that, that it's not us that, that that orchestrates this, but when we give our life over to Christ, each and every one of us being members of the body of Christ, what happens is, is God is the great orchestrator. He, he is able to, to, to guide us and lead us by His Spirit exactly where we need to be. Even when it comes to the simplicity of a context, of a message, of lighting a candle and celebrating the advent of joy, And where the sermon comes together, it's not all planned out. It's okay to plan, but it's not all planned out. It allows the uniqueness of who we are to come out, but yet the Spirit speaks to the church through what's being said. Amen? Happiness is based on circumstance, why joy is based on Christ. Our joy is based on who Christ is in us, And who we are in Christ. Philippians 4.11 says. For I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances. Why is that? None of these things move me. None of the circumstance around me moves me. Because I am founded in Christ Jesus. And here's what I know. If I keep my eyes fixed on him. He will see me through any situation that I face. You want to know something? He won't just see me through those difficult times of trouble. He'll see me through the times where I'm selfish. He'll see me through the times where I'm focused on myself and and, in the good times where I could get so focused on everything around me because it's going good. Do you know Christ is also there in the midst of that to guide us through that, to shape us and mold us. In those good times, guess what? Christ is the one that will bring upon you a conviction of heart in your good time to share your fortune to bless somebody who has less. Amen? You think about uh, God giving his son. We celebrate this time as a gift, that God gave us the greatest gift ever. Here's my question. What gift will you give to help lift someone else up? Because when Jesus came low, when he was born, wrapped in those Uh, swaddling clothes, laid in the manger, what happened is God came low. Emmanuel, God uh, with us, God brought himself into the earth. and Made himself in the likeness of sinful man. He came in our likeness, brought himself low. I've always said this, it is an interesting thing when you think about the Christian faith. You look at religions, you look at the, the sin, the original sin in the garden, where man is trying to be his own God. Man is trying to dictate his own way and not submit to the Creator, not come under the Lordship of the Creator and go our own way. And what we do is we try to bring God down. And ourself, we try to lift up. In the garden, you think about it, it's exactly the lie that was told. You will be as God the day you eat from this fruit. Lift yourself up and make yourself like God. Bring Him down and make Him like you. The reality is, is here's God saying, hey, I'm going to come down and be like you so that I can lift you up and make you like me. Come on now. it's exactly what was going on when Jesus came to this earth. He was coming low so that He could raise us high. And that's exactly why we raise Him high. It's exactly why we worship Him. Now we choose to bow and lift Him high. That's what worship is. And when we choose to bow and lift Him high, are we any lower? The reality is, is when we lift Christ high, what He does is He lifts us up, just as the Scripture says. And He says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We're seated in heavenly places with the one who has been given a name that is above every other name. Come on, somebody say amen in the house. So, here's the deal. Happiness, then, is by chance. Happiness is by chance, but joy is by choice. Happiness may happen, but joy is certain if you place your faith in Christ Jesus And you go the way that God has set before you. Deuteronomy 30 and 19 says, this day. Say this day. day. Oh, that's not good enough. Come on now. This day. day. Yeah, not another day. This day. day. See, this day for us, this is what God says. He says, this day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now, choose life. Now. Now choose life. This day, choose life. Which day? This day. What, what is what is most people's problem where it comes to quote-unquote being happy, being filled with joy? What is it that causes happiness to be so elusive? Why is it that we find ourselves chasing after and pursuing after happiness, never actually attaining it? Normally what we do is we're looking at our past and like, well, if I could change this, I would change that. If I could do this, I would do that. And it's not bad to reflect upon that, but it's important to understand you can't do anything about it. Or we spend our time looking at, man, if only this would happen, if only that would happen out there, if only that would happen. And we find ourselves chasing the future. And we can't do anything about that. But what we can do something about is this day we can do something about the day we are living in to make the choice to be filled with the joy of the lord because of the gift of his son and live our life for him and watch him orchestrate our steps how do i know that if we live for him and we follow him my bible tells me say my bible tells me because it's not just my bible it's my bible just like it's your bible but you got to make it personal My Bible tells me the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. I don't have to be concerned about where I'm going to end up. Because I know as long as I set my eyes upon the word of God and allow it to be my guide, he's going to bring me exactly where he desires me to be. Come on now. Y'all aren't excited enough in the house on this today. Why? Because I know that his word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. And if I keep it set before me, God is going to usher me. Say, usher me. Here, Usher me. Let, me. let me show you a little bit of that. Let's see here. I want to find somebody here that would help me with this. Larry. Come here, man. I'm going to usher. See, we would think of ushering, and I'm going to choose a man for this very reason. Because well, c- we would go, you usher a lady. Well, here's the thing. The Spirit of God ushers every single one of us. And here's how it goes. This is kind of how a guy would usher another guy, right? Right? This is a guy's way of ushering a guy. But here's what the Spirit of God does by the Word of God. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the Bible says, agree. And when they agree in our life and we keep them set before us, they usher us exactly where God desires us to be. Turn with me, Larry. And we're going to take a step up here. And I want to show you that every time in your life where where you're looking for happiness, when you need to be looking for joy, here's where you're going to find it. He will always usher us, come on, right here. Right to this. He's always going to bring you back to the cross. He's always going to usher you back to the place of where you discovered your salvation. Why? (laughs) Because restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That when you have joy in your salvation, let me tell you, your past no longer matters. Good or bad, those things are not what is going to dictate your life. What did Paul say? I forget those things which are be- Did he say, I forget the bad things that are behind? I forget those things which are behind and I... Press, say press. I press toward the mark of the high call of Christ Jesus in my life. He presses toward, in other words, I will lay hold of that which God laid hold of me for. And when we're set on those things, it's not hard to be joyous in any situation. Here's why. I know that my life is in the hands of a loving Savior. And then what does God do? When we're reminded, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus died on the cross for me. What am I complaining about? What am I unhappy about? It sets our perspective right. And then from what happens? The cross behind me, right? The world before me. We know that now we go from this place. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. None of these things move me. No circumstance changes. No, Nothing alters my joy because I know what it's based upon. It's not based upon what I have. It's not based upon uh, everybody getting along with me. It's not based upon, you know, I've got the best boss in the world or the best job in the world. By the way, I do want you to know I have the best boss in the world. Being a pat, I mean, I, you know, what? Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. So, uh, but in that, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. But you have to see no matter where you work, God's your boss. Did you know that? It doesn't matter where you're at. It, uh, no matter who you're married to, who your kids are, who your parents are, none of those things relationally, none of the things uh, economic or your prosperity, any of that kind of stuff that comes into play that might be circumstantial, none of those things should steal your joy. Why? Because restore unto me the joy of my salvation. No matter how hard this life may get, it's a short-lived life in this body. So no matter what my troubles are, I keep my eyes set on the cross so that I live each and every day understanding that I'm pressing toward the mark of the high call of the reason why Jesus saved me. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you, Larry. So happiness happens by choice, and if happiness happens by choice, then really what happened is joy finds us. He came into this earth to seek and to save that which was lost, isn't that correct? Jesus, without question, is one that there is great joy. While he understood what uh, suffering was and while he understood what sorrow was, the reality is Jesus himself is the fullness of of the joy of the Lord to endure the cross to die a death like that and, it, and and use the phrase it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross he endured that hardship he endured that circumstance because you and I were joy that was set before him our salvation was the joy that was set before him and when you understand that what you understand is is there's no trouble there's no trouble that should ever trump, write that down, there is no trouble that should ever trump the triumph of Jesus Christ in your life. No trouble should ever trump, triumph, trump the triumph of Jesus in your life because in that, Jesus found you, and in on that day, joy found you. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him though you do not see him now or now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory in other words we can't even quite tap into the expression of the fullness of the joy that we have in Christ Jesus it's just it's it's even difficult to help people understand that's why we can have a loved one die And in a sense, we reflect back to the very first week that that when people look at us, they wonder about the hope that is in us. You've ever celebrated a loved one who's passed away in faith, they love the Lord, they've given their life to Christ, they pass away, and you actually celebrate it as their homecoming, and people of the world are like, how can you be joyous about that? Oh, because I know one day I'm going to be with them. And oh, by the way, they have laid off the surly bonds of this earth, and they are in a better place than here you know angie and i have had this discussion many times some of you know it i don't want to live till i'm 100 if you do god bless you i do not want to gum my food you know i I don't want somebody sitting there and you know if it is god bless you i don't i don't begrudge you to do whatever you want to do but when i look at it to be with the lord to die is gain to be with him is a gain in my life it's not a loss and that's why when the world looks upon us, like death does not scare me. Death doesn't cause my knees to knock. As a matter of fact, I invite it in the time that the Lord would send it my way, that death to this body means that I live forevermore. Because my Bible tells me in Colossians that in my death, death is actually swallowed up by life for me. That I'll know life greater than I've ever known it when I lay off this carnal body amen so here's the deal here's what we have to do if we're gonna be found by joy this is the way joy finds us are you ready number one you got to stop asking why you got to stop asking why john 16 i have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world. Philippians 1 and 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The suffering that, that Laurel referred to. Paul's in prison and he's writing about joy. That what he's gone through actually was to their advantage. Paul was able to exhibit, look man, I've got great joy even in the midst of this tough circumstance. It becomes an example For the rest of us to follow. And we stop asking why. And then we move to the thing that helps joy find us. And then we start asking what? We start asking what? Philippians 1, 13 through 14. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident... In the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That because of Paul's suffering, because of where that was, there was a boldness that came over the rest of the people of God. If Paul's going to do this, he's in prison for it. How much more should I then proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness so that others could come to the joy of salvation? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for good uh, of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, that scripture alone, when it comes to circumstances in our life, should move us from the why question to the what now question. It, It should have such effect on us. That, you know, this happened, but it's not a why, God. Why did that happen, and why did that happen, and why did that happen? You can't do anything about yesterday. You can only do something about where you're at right now. Seize this day. Seize each and every day of your life and live it to its fullest. For Christ. And watch your why begin To disappear. It's like it doesn't even move you anymore. That circumstance doesn't move you because you know what God's called you to. That he's going to work all those circumstances together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Amen. Therefore, that brings us to this. Number three, refocus on what really matters. Refocus on what really matters. Philippians 1, 15 through 18 says... It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely. Supposing that they could stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So basically there are people that are actually preaching the gospel and saying Paul missed the will of God. They're giving Paul a hard time. I mean look. You ever heard about, you know, kind of, you know, Christians are the only ones that shoot their wounded? Yeah. Right? Or, you know, you kick a guy while he's down kind of thing. Paul is in prison for the gospel. And people who are preaching the gospel are, are using it as an opportunity to gain greater authority by putting Paul down. Paul's in this bad situation. See? Look at Paul. And they're preaching it out of their own selfish ambition. Trying to, to, to rise in in the... Uh, appearance uh, towards others and in this situation I want you to see how joy has so possessed Paul joy has so overtaken him concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ that it doesn't matter to him what people are saying to him it doesn't matter that there's a selfish gain if you will that they're trying to to have in the gospel listen to what he says here he says but what does it matter (laughs) say that with me what does it matter let's say it again what does it matter Okay, let's do it again. What does it matter? Okay, some of you are going right when I'm saying it. One, two, three. What does it matter? You want to hang on to your joy? Have an attitude about circumstances in your life. What does it matter? When you have your heart set on Christ, what does it matter? And if you can do that, let me tell you, It'll turn you to the what now, away from the why, and you'll find that you have a refocus on what really matters. Listen, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether uh, from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I what? Rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, we could tie rejoice right back to joy. Paul found himself. Able to rejoice even when people were treating him bad. Because he had an attitude of, what does, what does it matter? If Christ is being held in high esteem, even if a person has a bad motive about it, you know, what does it matter? Jesus is being lifted high. And he's the one that said about himself, if he be lifted high, he'll draw all men unto himself. And actually the translation of that, he'll draw all judgment. He drew all judgment when he was lifted high. And hung on a cross, he drew all judgment to himself so that mankind could be free and, and, and be given the kind of joy that doesn't fade or is moved because of circumstances. Listen to this. you have it in there, fill that out. When we're found by Christ, when, when Christ finds us, we should abound in joy. Every situation in this life may not bring happiness, but it should never steal our joy. Every situation in this life may not bring happiness, but it should never steal our joy. Amen? I want to read this to you out of this book, and then I have one final story and scripture to close with. And in here, this is um, basically a statement. When it comes to getting those priorities straight, refocusing on what really matters... I wanted to read this to you as a, as a wonderful reflection, and it's called If I Had My Life to Live Over, and this is uh, Irma uh, Bombeck wrote this. Someone asked me the other day, if I had my life to live over, would I change anything? No, I answered, but then I began to think. If I had my life to live over, I would talk less and listen more. I would... Have invited friends over to dinner, even when the carpet was stained and the sofa was faded. I would eat, have eaten popcorn in the good living room and worried much less about the dirt when someone wanted to light the fireplace. I would have taken time to listen to my grandfather ramble about his youth. I would never have insisted the car windows be rolled up on a summer day just because i' done my hair and and teased it and sprayed it. I would have, uh, have burnt the pink candle sculpted like a rose before it melted in storage. I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about the grass stains. I would have cried and laughed less while watching television and more while watching life. I would have shared more of the responsibility carried by my husband. I would have gone to bed when I was sick instead of pretending that the earth would not go on just because I was not present. I would never have uh, bought anything just because it was practical uh, and wouldn't show soil or was guaranteed to last a lifetime. Instead of wishing away nine months of pregnancy, I'd have cherished every moment and realized that this wonderment growing inside of me was a chance in life to assist God in the miracle. When my child kissed me impetuously, I would never have said, Later, now go wash up for dinner. Hmm. There would have been more I love you's, more I'm sorries," But mostly, given another shot at life, I would seize every minute, look at it, and really see it, live it. And never give it back. This day. Choose this day. It brings a, 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 a mentality of seeing the day that I live in will have everything to do with my future. And also establish a, um, a place of not looking back at the past with regret. If I make today matter, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. And that's what Jesus said. Don't think of tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about what you'll wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't, don't worry. All these things will be added to you if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Make today matter where it comes to your relationship, God. Make today matter where you reflect him in your relationship with others. And you'll have no regrets of yesterday's and every hope of what's coming tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Let me share this story as I close it's a story of a Persian uh, king and it says long ago there ruled a Persian uh, in Persia a wise and good king he loved his people he wanted to know how they lived he wanted to know about their hardships often he dressed in clothes of a working man or a beggar and went to the homes of the poor no one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler One time, he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerful and uh, kind words to him. Then he left. Later, he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, something that would make him happier. But he didn't. Instead, he said, You left your palace, your glory, to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate. You brought joy and gladness to my heart. To others, you have given your rich gifts. To me, you have given yourself. See, the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself to you and me. And the Bible calls it an unspeakable gift. It it even refers to it. Even as we sang today, unspeakable joy. That, that there's a joy that just that we can't quite express with words that does justice to the joy that Christ brings when he fills our heart with his love. Amen. I'll read this again in closing, 1 Peter 1 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not n- uh, now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Stand your feet with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much today for the joy that Christ saw set before him and during the cross, that he would restore many, Lord, to your family, many to faith, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you today that the faith that's been born in our hearts. It's not of our own doing, but it's because of the grace that you poured out on us. So, Father, as a result of that, we just—we uh, express with exuberance our love for you this morning. Would you say that with me? Jesus, we love you. And we praise you. And we glorify your name. We thank you for the gift that you have given us by dying on the cross. And we celebrate it, and we don't take it for granted, but Lord, we ask you in the coming days to cause us to understand it in greater ways. We pray all this in your mighty name, and everybody said, amen.